Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And the topic of this hiatus episode is the dads of Supergirl, which is quite relevant as we have finally met for an extended period of time, Zorel, Kara's father. Mm. And in this episode, we're specifically going to look at the role that fathers play in the community, meaning both like an extended community, like say the earth, as we <laughs> talk about a lot with Supergirl, but also like a family. And as we know and talk about a lot, community is important to the Supergirl characters in general and is at the center of the show's morality, like with Elmayara. So it's also present, say, with like the moms and Alora. But I think that the stronger thing theme for moms is choices as opposed to like a role in community. For instance, you know, we hear Car talk about like, I know what it's like to wonder about a mother's choices in season one and worrying about making the wrong choice at the end of season one with regard to Myriad. And then also at the end of season three, when Allure's there telling her to make the wrong choice. <laughs> and like Cat with Adam and Cat and her mom's parenting style and, and Alex and Eliza and the different parenting styles that Eliza had for Cara and Alex and Alex wondering about like why <laughs> and even when and his mom mm. and wondering why she made the choice to like abandon him stay away from him yeah yeah which I think makes sense in terms of like moms and choices because the show primarily centers women as like role models and mentors mm. leaving the mentees to like ask themselves with regard to the role models would I make the same choice as opposed to maybe a more like insecure are you with us that we see with the dads mm. who are most often to some degree not as present yeah, and that's obviously a very deliberate choice by the narrative of the show, in part to separate it from Superman, which has been so father-son centric. Mm, right. But so to kind of focus our discussion, first of all, what counts as a father? Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, it is a male identifying person who is highly involved in caregiving and is committed to the well-being of the child or the children, regardless of the circumstance. So it doesn't have to be a biological father. They don't have to be married, you know, to the mom or even be related to the child at all, which is one of the things that we see Throughout Supergirl, the idea that Kara affirmed in season one that it's love that bonds a family together, not necessarily mm -hmm. blood. Right. But in order to kind of explore this idea of kind of what role do fathers play in the community and specifically within the story of Supergirl, we're taking a very Western point of view to look at it because that's the framework that the show uses in order to make these value judgments and present different ideas about fatherhood and these father figures. That said, we do want to make it clear that family structures and parental roles are really different worldwide, mm -hmm. depending on the region of the world. And problems in places with cultural foundations similar to the United States, so that very kind of white Northern European Christian foundation, mm. do not apply everywhere. And so this isn't a universal understanding of fatherhood. Right. So one of the biggest things that I looked at when we started thinking about the different ways fathers are represented in the show is looking at it in comparison to the way fatherhood is portrayed throughout modern media in the U.S., mm -hmm. just as a, a basis of comparison. And so 
you know, video type media, so film and TV, came into being only in the 20th century. So if you look at the way fatherhood is portrayed over the course of the 20th century, you see a few different major stereotypes that exist. So you have this kind of detached breadwinner who's like, dad goes out and has the job and makes the money and he comes home and everyone treats him as like the hero for that, I guess. Um, <laughs> yay. Let's get this bread, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get that bread on the table, <laughs> which is very important in the Danvers household because Kara eats a lot. That's so. true. That is fair. <laughs> you also have this kind of the distant disciplinarian figure. So the father is the head of the family. The father is the center of authority. The father corrects you when you've done something wrong, usually in maybe an intimidating or scary kind of way, Mm -hmm. but otherwise isn't maybe emotionally available or particularly warm Mm -hmm. to the children. And then you have the other very stereotypical portrayal of dads, the deadbeat dad. Right. The dad who is a slacker, who doesn't make good on any of his obligations, who just pieces out and is never heard from again, only to show up years later and mess with everyone emotionally. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, that's kind of the array of emotional accessibility for men (laughs) in a lot of the 20th century. What wonderful choices they have. (laughs) It's a very limiting way of understanding what fatherhood is about. And that kind of starts to change around the early aughts going into the current century. And part of the reason for this is you have people who were part of Generation X. So people who now are in their maybe 40s and 50s who were deeply affected by the wave of divorce that emerged in the United States in the 1980s and into the 90s when they were children. And these people have now come of age and are having their own families and taking a critical eye towards, you know, what went wrong in my family dynamic. And this was like a hugely widespread problem. (laughs) So it's resulted in a big shift in the understanding of what makes a good parent and specifically what makes a good father And you can see that reflected in a lot of demographics about fatherhood and how it's changed. Like, for example, the amount of stay-at-home dads rather than stay-at-home moms Mm -hmm. actually nearly doubled in the period between 2003 and 2012, so within 10 years. And you also start to see within this same era the portrayal of dads in mainstream media, particularly television, Mm -hmm. start to shift And it becomes more complex. You see more emotional expression. You see dads being more involved with their kids' lives and taking on kind of a more equal partnership in the parenting as we go towards the 2010s and now into the 2020s. Mm. That said, (laughs) the fact that things are changing both culturally and within media portrayals, it's not that everything's great. There are still a lot of problems. Like I I talked about this actually on my blog recently. There's still a lot of social pressure on men to perform in very stereotypically masculine ways. And so success is still measured in terms of prowess in your job or making lots of money Mm -hmm. and their ability to meet these kind of arbitrary social measures of manliness affects how much they are or are not involved parents because, you know, if you have to spend all your time at work, you can't spend as much time at home with your kids. Mm. And one of the most striking pieces of research that came out from like the American Pediatrics Association was that the rate of 
male involvement in parenting throughout the first decade of this century wasn't because men wanted to spend more time with their kids. It was because they were losing their jobs when the economy tanked Hmm. and they had no other options. And they just did that by default, because in many cases, the partner in in the family was the only one left making money. Hmm. And so there's still like this kind of stigma around acknowledging like, that dads like being dads and enjoy (laughs) spending time with their children. But there's also been research finding that men who are able to work in places with good policies regarding family leave and the ability to be with their children are much more likely to use it and to pull their weight in terms of parenting. But that's, Mm -hmm. you know, the United States lags way behind most industrialized countries as far as that is concerned. So this is why it's actually still kind of important (laughs) in media to give representations of fatherhood as something that is rich and emotionally fulfilling. And, you know, it's important to answer that question of does fathering add its own value that's different from having a mom? and benefit both children and society in general. Mm -hmm. And the answer as far as real life is concerned is yes, dads do add their own distinct kind of value to the lives of their children and then because of that to society. Mm. One of the most interesting things about this, which is very relevant in terms of thinking about some of the characters in Supergirl, is that Parents of any gender are generally good at matching the emotions that their children are experiencing, like when they're interacting with them. But dads are more intense about it (laughs) in a way that actually has a significant impact on their kids when it comes to developing a sense of independence, a sense of assertiveness or a willingness to explore new situations or engage with new ideas, mm. just in that they're they're more willing to kind of open those boundaries and, and push kids in a healthy way. Yeah. And you actually see that in Supergirl with Kara and Alex and Wynn even talks about this as well, with their relationships to their dads and the involvement in science. And, mm. you know, Kara talking about her dad treating her like a collaborative partner. Wynn kind of says the same thing mm. and that they create together. Yeah. The other thing that was kind of interesting is that positive father and child relationships, especially in adolescence, are strongly correlated with teens who feel more empowered in their bodily autonomy. And so in their management over their own decisions, maybe in interpersonal relationships, and also that teens who have good relationships with their dad in kind of like a healthy parent-child dynamic tend to also make fewer just generally risky decisions that may have negative and long-lasting outcomes. Mm. And then conversely, as we've also seen in the television show Supergirl, (laughs) the loss of a father or father figure can have a unique and long-lasting impacts on a child's confidence, their ability to seize opportunities, and then their odds of succeeding or reaching their full potential when they're an adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which we saw, like, with Wynn, for example. Yeah. So all of this, like, real-life context is pretty interesting in terms of what role a father plays because Supergirl as a show is consistently like concerned with if fathers are active players sort of subtextually Mm -hmm. 
in the family structure and also if they're positive forces for the broader community, which are two things that can seem at odds <laughs> at times with regard to like Jeremiah and Zorel, as we'll talk about. And overall, this idea of whether or not the fathers of Supergirl are on the same team as their children, there's that insecurity around these questions. And we also specifically see exploration of community role versus individual identity or individual goals take the sort of miscellaneous side fathers of Supergirl, like Wynn's father, who was incredibly obsessed with revenge and, and entangled in his own identity as like the best toy maker ever, mm-hmm. that he became a murderer. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> yeah, that's not community friendly, I'd say. And he left his son alone, you know, leaving Wynn to then fear that he'll also snap and hurt the world and and be that detriment to community. So he failed in terms of both like whether or not he's a pro-social force in the world and, you know, his role as a father directly with his son. And then we also have a more current father with Andrea's father who Kelly called a narcissist. And while we don't know if that's true like clinically, in terms of the colloquial meaning of narcissism meaning like overly self-centered, Andrea's father was as far as we could mm-hmm. see. His whole identity was wrapped up in obsidian and he becomes suicidal when he might lose it and also betrays Andrea when obsidian platinum fails. And his single-minded goals overshadow a relationship with the daughter who is quite committed to him and may have encouraged the same kind of apathy toward people Mm. that we see in Andrea generally. Well, and also that kind of like cutthroat business nature that Mm. she has. Yes. It's also interesting that both of these examples that you pulled out are dads in that very traditional vein where they're kind of bound up in their identity as like a career guy. Right. Yeah. But in terms of, I suppose, this sort of more mixed relationship, Mm. which was actually quite positive to begin with. Yeah. But then gets more complicated as time goes on. We have Kara and her biological father, Zorel. And the question of fathers and and community with relation to science, Mm. which is an interesting topic with Kara, because we know that she is capable of like scientific thinking. But in season two, the show set up Kara as like not being interested in science with like her. Those were so boring. Line her amazing face. (laughs) Yeah. At Alex's science fair and her confused face when... Lena said polyatomic anions. But then in season three, the show provided more context for Kara's sort of relationship with science in a way that is significant with relation to dads. Like we see her in the first episode of season three, like use the DEO computer herself because it's faster, which was a kind of a shift from how she normally operates. Mm. And then her explanation of like how the beta hedrons worked, explaining it to Wynn, who's like the science person, you know. The tech yeah. person on the team and hacks into the Kryptonian hollow mom technology when she was on mm. Argo to yeah. communicate back to Earth. And then she also like thinks the projection of her battle with rain is awesome. And we see how she says that science is easy in the Midvale flashback episode. Yeah. Even the little like my biology absorbs solar radiation at a different rate than humans was a little bit of a shift just in the sense of not it being like impossible for the character before, but it being emphasized here, which 
which I think was mm. purposeful in the same way that her ties to Kryptonian culture were purposeful. Yeah. Like we saw with the Cult of Rao plot and how that was in preparation for her return to Argo. Yeah, because the whole of season three also had that subtle kind of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz framing the there's mm. no place like home. Yeah. So you have Kara dealing with that a lot in season three with the things that remind her of Krypton. And then when she goes to Krypton and realizes, oh, this doesn't quite fit anymore. Right. Yeah. But then with regard to the science, it leads to this moment toward the end of the season where she reenters her father's old science lab and says how she spent so many afternoons with him here watching him work. She says, sometimes when he was working on a problem, he'd use me as a sounding board. He talked to me like I was another scientist. He made me feel like I was the most important person that ever existed, mm-hmm. which was obviously a quite positive experience for her and kind of fits in line with the way that you described the role that fathers can play. Mm-hmm. In like encouraging and challenging Right. Their kids. Yeah. Yes. So then we come to the question of like how she went from that experience to then being disinterested in science, despite having skills. And I think it has to do with how Kara's father used science to make her feel like she was helping and, and like contributing and a part of something in the way that was so important for their culture. Like we're out protect us so we might protect others. We mm-hmm. exist to serve this greater goal. But then she comes to Earth and it turns into a symbol of like her otherness yeah. or or her separateness in quite a few ways. Number one, it was something that she shared with her father and she may not want to replace him. Mm-hmm. You've said this a bunch before yeah, about how she refers to Eliza as her foster mom and makes that clear distinction. But then Alex is just her sister because she didn't have a sister back on Krypton. And then another reason is that she can understand so much science and learn so much science on Krypton and she comes to Earth and she can't express any of it. Because it's just too advanced. Yeah. she. <laughs> yeah. So she's like going from being this like sounding board for like Kryptonian science problems that like one of the most prominent scientists on Krypton was dealing with to like basic earth science and (laughs) (laughs) like super not challenging earth science. And she says in Midvale, when Eliza's like math and science still fun, she says, I don't know about fun. They're easy. I'm picturing that transition because when Kara came in, she was in like seventh grade, Hmm. at which point science may genuinely have been fun for the novelty of like, look at this Stone Age concept that they are learning. <laughs> that That is fair. I mean, like literally like to Kara, the things that we know are like if we were sitting and learning about someone from the 1200s understanding biology. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So she both can't share like fun Kryptonian science things because it's too advanced. And then also she has to hide when Earth science is like really new, like with like I don't know different kinds of animals that she's never seen before like the birds well and the other reason that she maybe doesn't express her enthusiasm or her depth of knowledge with regard to science as much as she could have is also because it's Alex actually says this in the Midvale episode too I think it's the sheriff she's like science is my thing Hmm. and that's something that Kara's known about Alex since she came there so There's already this like sibling rivalry tension and, you know, sometimes Kara does rub it in Alex's face that she knows more. (laughs) But like it's sort of like a a respect and a politeness thing because like it's so much a part of Alex's identity and also 
the whole Danvers family are scientists. And some of it's just like maybe trying not to be rude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, and especially one thing I think is interesting is I can see how Kara, it might be difficult for her to talk about it without it sounding like bragging. Yeah. Or without her even herself leaning into the bragging element of it, Mm -hmm. because otherwise it's just like being vulnerable and (laughs) and like. Well, there's also the thing that it could just open a minefield of emotional triggers that she doesn't want to get into. Yeah. Picture like Eliza asking all her excited questions to Jean about like Martian stuff. You know, I mean, she wouldn't do that to Kark. She's like a traumatized little girl. But uh, (laughs) how does your body work? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Really? (sighs) Yes. And then, you know, we also see this element of like, I can't talk about what I know with Kenny and her sort of sad, resigned Mm, energy in the Midvale flashback. When Kenny says, somewhere past all that darkness, there are other worlds. Can you imagine? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> sure can. Because um, we know that she traveled to like 12 planets and her father specifically was the one to take her to Starhaven and the Well of Stars, the only two places like that they've specifically mentioned. And with regard to like planets and the stars, I find it interesting that, you know, Astra taught Kara the names of the stars. And while she's obviously not like a father figure, <laughs> she <No. laughs> she had a sort of turbulent role in the family and, you know, community at large and was like a little bit <laughs> distant in a similar kind of way. And this whole idea that Kara can't express what she knows is also relevant to the way that she might have seen science as a, like a pro-social force. She now can't be useful with that knowledge in the way that she used to be. Kind of like mm-hmm. she can't use her own body to help people and her own powers. And she can't, with science, contribute to the community in the way that she used to with her father. And then this other element, which I find interesting, is like a sort of loss of agency and trust going from this, you know, this moment where she was spoken to like she was another scientist. And for Cara, the adults around her were on the surface quite honest and and giving with Mm. complicated information, like complex science with her father, like details about her mom sending people to Fort Ross. And Astra told her how the planet was dying. And from Cara's perspective, they were being quite honest. Like we learn later on <laughs> the true extent to these Maybe different not. things. Yeah. And she does as well. But Zorel and Alora had given her a somewhat healthy barometer for what to expect of herself as well. Mm. Like we see with the story about how Cara got upset when she couldn't get the wings right on a sculpture that she was making and her father told her that it was perfect and that he loved it and her with all his heart. And Kara says that he made her feel proud that he always did. So she's getting this healthy-ish barometer for what to expect of herself, despite those perfectionistic tendencies that she has, like where she got upset about it not looking perfectly. So when they sent her off in the pod to Earth, she probably expected it to be kind of a reasonable task, (laughs) like given the way that their relationship had presented to her beforehand. And that tracks with 
her speech that she gave about not really understanding. You know, she says, when my parents put me on that pod in Krypton, I don't think I realized what was actually happening. I didn't know that I was saying goodbye to them forever. So she didn't quite get the full scope <laughs> of what was happening, understandably, for many different reasons. But well, there was a lot going on in that moment. Yeah, <laughs> there sure was. But then that idea that like she might have expected going to sort of raise Cal and go to this planet that she's never been to alone to be like a reasonable task. It makes her sort of like, I'm not afraid father to Zorel and how Zorel and Allure like smiled at each other, both sweet and kind of horrible <laughs> now. <laughs> and then Kar comes to Earth and Jeremiah is there telling her to withdraw and that she's just a kid. She can't help people. She has to hide from the community and, and keep secrets. Well, and the thing that I like about that, that little scene with Melina Weissman when she was baby Kara hmm. with Jeremiah in the first early flashback is that Jeremiah is interacting with Kara in a way that maybe would be familiar to her hmm. from working with her dad on Krypton. He's kind of treating her like a collaborator in the moment because he's saying, you know, you did this big, brave thing. Hmm. Cool. <laughs> but he then goes on to say that it's important that she engage in the secret keeping and he wants to get her on board as a collaborator in keeping that secret mm. because it's important to protect them as a family from the broader world because <laughs> he and Eliza are aware of the threats of places like the DEO or Cadmus and Kara just isn't. Mm -hmm. And in trying to kind of make that connection with Kara, you see him physically give her tools to help her maintain that lie and help protect the whole family, you know, by giving her glasses and saying all the world needs is for you to be Kara Danvers. Mm. It's like it's adjacent to Kara's values, <laughs> uh, kind of, mm -hmm. but it's not sufficient enough that she ever fully makes peace with it. And we see that by the time she's a teenager in that first Midvale flashback, and she's so frustrated that she is stuck with these powers and she can't use them to mm -hmm. help people. And that's all she wants to do. Yeah. It's almost like a bizarro version of the moments that she had with her father where they're collaborating yes. for the <laughs> collective good of all at least she thought. And then with Jeremiah, it's like, we have this small unit and that's the most important thing. And then also it's less of an open sharing of information. Yeah. It's the opposite of that. It's the encouraging of that that secret, keeping that secret. Yeah. And the other thing about that little scene of young Kara with Jeremiah that's so striking is that contrary to what we might expect from a good father figure, and we'll get into that more like Alex, mm. Jeremiah doesn't actually encourage Kara, you know, thinking of fathers encouraging children to be independent in kind of like a safe way. Right. He doesn't really encourage her to explore what she can do with her powers in a way that still keeps their family safe or setting reasonable limits on it. Mm. He just restricts her flat out mm -hmm. and plays that old school kind of disciplinarian role of like, I'm the authority and you need to do what I say. Yeah. Which is sort of the big thing that she still feels like negative effects, <laughs> at least when we see her in the pilot of from her childhood. The fact that she wasn't given the like option to in the future, you know, make plans to use her powers in this way. It was just limited as much as she could handle. <laughs> and there were no future options for her, at least presented by the people who were around her to use mm -hmm. her powers in a way that 
would be okay. But then she also experiences disillusionment with her birth family, like with discovering that Allure lied to her about luring Astra to arrest her. Mm, yeah. And then also with Zarel, she discovers that he created the Medusa virus to kill anyone who wasn't a Kryptonian, like as like a failsafe for the Kryptonian government. And she says, growing up, you told me your work saved lives. And it not only betrayed Kara's sense of like universal community, <laughs> but betrayed her connection with him personally because he wasn't honest with her. And then there's the question of whether or not she was personally involved as a, like a sounding board on any element of the science involved with making the Medusa virus mm-hmm. or any other scientific endeavor that Kara as an adult would recognize as maybe not so great. <laughs> And then wrapped up in all of these different reasons that Kara may begin to see science as a separating force between her and the community as opposed to the uniting force that she experienced with Zorel in her early life is the undercurrent fact that, you know, science didn't save Krypton. Zorel fails in the same way that Alora did through different means, of course. And so by the time Kara meets Zorel in the Phantom Zone, her view of him as a hero is already shaken and it doesn't take much for her to be like, you used to be a hero. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, during much of that period in the Phantom Zone, they're not both working as a team, you know, according to their shared values or previously shared values, which is generally a factor that defines the health of Car's relationships and with fathers in particular, like with Car and Jean who have one of my favorite dynamics of the show. Yes, that was the sleeper hit relationship in this show. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> so Kara went from Zorel's, like, you're mature enough to handle this <laughs> message, which was healthy, you know, until it was not <laughs> later with the <laughs> the pod and raising Kal-El scenario. To then Jeremiah's discouragement in a way that was necessary to some degree until it wasn't, you know, it was also stifling. Mm. But then she experiences what I see as this eventual healthy middle ground with Jean, who wants to protect her and their family unit, but is also often on the same page as her as a hero. And they go through this period of like earning each other's trust, which is interesting because we learn that they have like maybe their first moment of genuine connection actually in the Midvale flashback <laughs> where he spoke truthfully from a place of his own grief. Mm-hmm. You've already lost so much, but you could lose more if you're not careful. That being sort of the turning point in the scene. And then we see in season one, Jean grows to trust her capabilities as Supergirl, which is very important to Kara. Like we see her talk about with Alex. And then Jean himself more than proves his, his commitment to their family and to the world when he comes out as an alien to stop Kara when she is under the influence of red kryptonite. Mm. And then when Kara is going through this period in season two, grappling with Zorel's like war crimes. <laughs> um, yeah, those. Those. He says to her, your parents' legacy is not death and destruction, Karzarel, it's you. And overall, they've developed a sort of, like, there's this father-daughter dynamic, but also a peer dynamic, mm. where when one of them is low, the other one is often there to pick them up 
And there's a sense that like the wisdom is evenly shared. Mm, yeah. For instance, in season four, when Jean is upset about Manchester and comes to Kara, when Kara is upset about Alex in that same season, season four, and how she's afraid that she's going to be in danger because she doesn't know that she's Supergirl. And Jean encouraging Kara's hopeful outlook in the first episode of season four. Then Kara encouraging Jean and finding his own way to help the community. And this dynamic, I think, is what Kara needs compared to maybe the more traditional father-daughter dynamic that he has with Alex. Because I think that sort of we're working together as a team to help other people is what she thought she had with Zarel and, and the thing that was sort of taken from her in more ways than one. Mm. And then they also have that sort of same self-sacrificing tendency, which while Kara obviously doesn't want Jean to die, it's probably encouraging in terms of a shared worldview. And then also, I think, reinforces Kara's sense that difficult truths are being shared. Yeah. Like him being like, Kara, if I die, I want to die as myself, fighting for what I believe in, not as some mutant horror show. Let me share the fate of my alien brothers and sisters, come what may, which is a very, like, intense <laughs> Kara confession. would support yeah. that philosophy. <laughs> yes, it's true. And we also see, obviously, conflicts between them, which are pretty much around <laughs> how to best be a part of the community and help it, and uh, specifically in season four mm -hmm. and we'll explore that more with Jean but they always come to an understanding and, and choose to trust each other which is not only important for Kara as someone who didn't get resolution with you know her other dads Sorel and Jeremiah but I think that will be an important touchstone for Kara in trying to rebuild a relationship now with Sorel. Mm. Yeah and so uh, now it's time to turn our lens to Alex, who, as you pointed out, has been kind of craving this more traditional father-daughter relationship for like the entire series. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. It's that thing that she feels like is just missing from her life at various points. But this question that we brought up at the beginning of the podcast episode about kind of like what role do fathers play for children and for community is the question that gets explored the most mm -hmm. through. Alex's narrative just because losing her dad was such a foundational trauma for her as a character mm -hmm. and it's kind of like it's her loss for her world which tends to go from like inward out from her family mm. is almost on par emotionally for her with you know Kara losing her family and, and Krypton and then Jean losing his family and Mars but obviously to a smaller scale <laughs> <laughs> so the place to start from is Obviously, with her relationship with Jeremiah, because that's what she has in her head. And she kind of idolizes that dynamic that she had with him after he dies uh, <laughs> when she's a teenager. And we don't know a ton about her relationship with him in her early childhood, other than presumably they had a good relationship to each other. But we kind of learn through the flashbacks and then Alex reflecting on that period of her life that Jeremiah never quite made it to the level of like a good enough parent, mm -hmm. which is to say like that he did the right things enough of the time that it had a healthy impact on Alex as his child. Yeah. So like a father who is in this good enough category will as I said earlier, kind of encourage their child to undertake healthy challenges and do them independently so that they gain that sense of self. But we learn, especially in season five, that Jeremiah has taken this to an extreme that ends up being harmful to Alex. Mm -hmm. 
he tasks her not only with taking care of her sister in a way that you might expect of an older sibling, but he really treats her as a peer and expects her to like share that burden in a more adult way. And then right. he also includes taking care of her mom in that piece as well, like that Alex is the adult and more so than her own mother. Mm-hmm. And it kind of flips the script on who is the protector within their relationship as a father and daughter Mm -hmm. in that Jeremiah is looking out for the family to the detriment of looking out for Alex. Yeah. And so for Alex, like losing Jeremiah creates a void in Alex's life almost doubly because there's his literal absence, but there's also the way he was actively parenting her after they adopted Kara left her kind of feeling detached and and disconnected in a way that set her really adrift as we see in some of those flashbacks in season one that her life kind of just spiraled Mm. and actually even in the season six flashback where she's in a healthier place a little bit sooner in life (laughs) she says that you know she got so unhealthily wrapped up in the tasks that he gave her but specifically in terms of feeling like the loss of her dad we hear her say in season five to Kara that Jeremiah's obsession with keeping Kara secret and keeping her safe changed her whole dynamic with her dad and that she felt like she didn't matter anymore, Hmm. which is not creating a sense of safety or security (laughs) for a child or putting them in a place where they feel safe taking risks and being vulnerable. Yeah, which is a big thing for Alex. Being vulnerable. Big thing for Alex, which is why her whole house is just like... Soft and soothing colors, and everything's like a little bit cuddly. But we see, you know, that for all that Jeremiah made these mistakes, and they are mistakes in the way that Zorel certainly also made some big mistakes, mm-hmm. Jeremiah still very much cares about Alex and Kara, and his kind of final act as a father is transferring <laughs> that role over to Jean and assigning him a mission, essentially, mm. to take care of and protect Alex and Kara. And so all of that, they lay that groundwork very clearly in season one, and it really comes to a head in season two, which kind of explores what the real role of a father is and seems to suggest that it is that you look out for your kids, whether that's physically or emotionally or both. And they they literally have Jeremiah and Jean like get into a physical fight <laughs> um, <laughs> to fully embody this conflict of kind of what's the right style of being a dad. Dad battle. Well, if especially when you think about like Jeremiah kind of stands for the idea of what dads used to be in media and mm. is very much more that like 20th century mold of being <laughs> traditional because he is an absentee father for a decent part of Alex's life. Right. We see that he put an emotional distance between them even before he was gone. We see him being that disciplinarian a lot in flashbacks. And even in season two, when he's at Kara's apartment, he's kind of playing that like gatekeeper, like, don't you mess with my daughter or I'll shoot you with my gun. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. thing that you see in like 
more traditional kind of yeah. semi-conservative media when he meets their significant others. There's like a well-meaning energy to it generally, yeah. like <laughs> across these different things. But it's still like at the heart of it is that. Yeah, it is. And then on the other hand, you have Jean, who's really representing much more of what we think fatherhood is at the present cultural moment. And he's kind of got this more modern approach that he uses as a father figure, which is, you know, he's actively emotionally engaged with both Alex and Kari. And some of that is he's a Martian, but, you know, he's very in tune with with wanting to know how they feel and what they think about things. And they have mm-hmm. a two way dialogue that involves not just him, like absorbing what's going on in their lives and just trying to like steer them down specific paths but like he shares things from his own life in ways that might be instructive or that Mm. give them a new perspective on things and he does it to help them kind of come to their own conclusions he typically tries to let them kind of figure stuff out for themselves even if he is suggesting (laughs) subtly (laughs) through trickery or other means that they should maybe choose one thing over another. Yeah. We'll come back to John and his his love of tricks. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, to go back to this contrast and how this affects specifically Alex as a character, it affects Kara too a little bit. But from what we know of Jeremiah, we kind of see that he believes that you protect your inner circle or your family first. Mm -hmm. And that's more important than protecting a broader community, Mm -hmm. which is sort of similar to Alex's value system. At least on the surface, it seems like they're similar. Yeah. However, (laughs) Alex kind of approaches it from what I will call like an inward out perspective. And we've talked about this before, like as a contrast to Kara, where Alex definitely values a public service and she gets something emotionally from serving a community. But her family will come first if there is a conflict between the two, Mm -hmm. (laughs) much to sometimes John and Kara's consternation (laughs) but even if there is this conflict of loyalty between her obligations she usually will try to find a way to honor the values or the mission of her organization or like the larger whole even Mm -hmm. as she's pursuing the thing that is personally important to her right because she gets that both are important whereas we have seen for jeremiah it's very like in and not out (laughs) ever um Or like, as I put it, family first, pejorative. Uh. Yes. But then on top of that, we have Jeremiah thinking, you know, that in season two, that by betraying the bigger community, that he would be protecting his family unit. To Alex, he actually betrayed the family unit in acting on his own. And Mm -hmm. and. Alex says, how could you think that we would want you to hurt others to protect us? And I think that gets to one of Alex's other values with regard to her sort of inward out perspective of like inner circle comes Mm. first. To Alex, being a part of a family is also honoring the values of the people you share the family with. The people in it. (laughs) The people in your family. Like we see in season six with Kara and honoring her wishes with regard to like whether or not Alex should choose to go after her and save her or choose to save Earth. (laughs) Alex personally wants to do the one thing, but she relies upon her like DEO training and then also the fact that she knows what Kara 
Kara wants and her loyalty to Kara mm-hmm. means that she honors that wish of hers. Yeah. Jeremiah doesn't even consider it. <laughs> no. Well, and also with that scene in season six, it's a nice build actually on the lesson Alex learned in the conflict over Jeremiah mm-hmm. in season two where Kara called her out on being so short-sighted that she wasn't actively also trying to help right. undo the damage from their dad trying to deport aliens. Like, <laughs> And Alex was like, all right, challenge accepted. I will find a way to do both. Uh, <laughs> and we love that for her. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, thinking about how with Jeremiah, it's very my family and whatever to everything else. Mm. You compare that with Jean, who really understands what Alex's priorities and values are and has done a really good job of helping her find a way to both protect her family and, in addition, create an identity for herself that is rooted in the kind of service that gives her satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we find out throughout the course of the series that she's actually always wanted for her life. As an adult, you know, she's brought up a few times that she had originally been planning to go into medicine and be a doctor like her mom. And then in the Elseworlds crossover, Kara says to that Alex, you know, it makes sense that you ended up here because my version of Alex also was always drawn to serving others. Mm -hmm. And then you see in season four her decision to stay at the DEO even when the personal reasons that she went there in the first place are gone Mm -hmm. because she does still want to have an impact on the policy and the treatment of aliens in general. Yeah. So in that sense, Jean has done a really nice job. And we talked about this, I think, in our mentoring episode as well, Mm -hmm. of doing that important thing as a father figure of putting Alex in this place where she feels safe to grow in a lot of different ways. Mm. And related to that, <laughs> I brought up this idea of part of being a father figure is you protect your children from things. You give them a sense of safety and security, both physically and emotionally. Right. And for a long time, Alex didn't feel like she had that mm-hmm. with Jeremiah, both because she felt kind of emotionally abandoned car came into the picture and then literally after mm-hmm. she thinks her dad has died. And then... Within that empty space, we see Jean step in and give Alex that sense of protection and comfort that she feels like she's lost. And that's why their bond ends up being as strong as it is. You see the very initial thing that he does where he steps in when he sees Alex is really floundering to the point that she's putting her own life at risk during graduate school. And he gives her an out Mm. of that situation that gives her a new set of challenges but it doesn't, you know, make her feel like a failure <laughs> for for leaving the thing that she was, you know, objectively failing at. Mm. But he does it in a kind of underhanded way <laughs> by kind of playing on her loyalty to Kara and her concern that other people knowing about Kara is a threat. And that wasn't necessarily nice of him. Oh, Sean. Which we will discuss. <laughs> <laughs> but once he gets her to the point of kind of coming in under his wing at the DEO, he, we find out later, devotes a lot of time to ensuring that she is a safe 
literally as she possibly can be before he lets her do any field work. Mm-hmm. And he does the same thing with Kara and Kara takes great offense to it. And Alex <laughs> is like, no, no, that's how he's showing he cares. Uh, <laughs> and the the other part that's more important, especially for Alex as someone who is so guarded with her feelings because she's afraid that they won't be well received, mm-hmm. is that he's a really reliable sounding board for her, like giving her advice or just giving her space to express her feelings without feeling overly judged. Mm. Like the scene in season one where they're sparring, he's like, the next time you're mad, let's just go have coffee. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm sad. <laughs> exactly. And she's like, I'm not angry. I'm sad. And he's like, oh, well, that's a different conversation. <laughs> yes. And doesn't she say something to him at some point about him being like the wisest person that she knows? It was when he left the DEO was feeling. Oh, yeah. Aww. Oh, Sean. <laughs> Sean. <laughs> but within that kind of the way that Jean steps into this Jeremiah sized hole uh, <laughs> literally at one point <laughs> there's this interesting thing that Alex says in season five when she's expressing her grief as a lot of anger that is directed towards Kara about losing Jeremiah and she specifically mentions like in a way that you can tell that it's hurt her that she and her dad had been so close they could finish each other's sentences Mm. prior to Kara's adoption. And I was just so fascinated by that as a choice because of how the show has really gone to great lengths to show how much Alex fits into the Martian way of being, which involves literal mind reading. (laughs) And so the fact that she felt such a strong connection then to Jean, who can like read her mind <laughs> is really interesting that like that was something specific that she felt like was missing right that really close sense of understanding and we know of course John tends to provide Alex with a lot of validation and support but we see beyond that within that episode about her dad dying in season 5 when Alex is in her VR simulation Jean is the character who's giving voice to a lot of Alex's feelings, Mm -hmm. saying the things that, you know, that she's thinking throughout the episode, which really reflects her perception of him as getting her Mm -hmm. and being really in sync with her just emotionally in that way that she's felt was missing. And then it's interesting because, like, it's there in her scenario and it's Jean and, like, Jeremiah's nowhere. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. The other part that's so fascinating with that is that the point in the VR when Alex finally remembers that she went in there because she's upset about her dad dying is also still linked to her feelings about Jean as a father figure in some ways and the complexity there between Jeremiah and Jean and the fact that they literally hand off being her dad (laughs) back and forth a few times. Because I don't know how many other people notice this, but like the point where super Alex confronts her younger self Mm-hmm. She's stopping two people who are robbing a bank and one of them is herself. And that's something she did with Jean <laughs> yeah. in season three. They staged a fake bank robbery to lure Rain out of hiding. And it was a point where actually Alex almost died <laughs> and mm-hmm. Jean saved her. and He protected her. Yeah, exactly. And she trusts that. And we know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that's been there since the beginning. But yeah. that said, let's come back to uh, Sean's series, yeah, his mistakes that he's made. <laughs> We've said we don't know if this is just like a Martian 
weird parenting technique <laughs> no, or what? I think, I think <laughs> it's a Jean thing because he was like, he liked cheating. <laughs> oh, that's right. His dad did say he'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. But we see, you know, to go back to that homecoming episode in season two where Jeremiah comes back and then crushes all of Alex's hopes and dreams. <laughs> Jean does something a little similar in that he rightly determines that Alex isn't in the frame of mind to go tracking down her dad like a wanted fugitive because mm-hmm. it puts her in a very bad ethical position. And she's already upset enough that she's making bad judgment calls. Yeah. But rather than, you know having an honest conversation with her the way they might normally. <laughs> right. He decides that the best way to prove his point is to phase into her house and scare the crap out of her and then take the form of Jeremiah and manipulate her so thoroughly that she decides to violate all of her principles as an operative at the DEO, at which point he's like, just kidding, it's me and I can't let you do this. Uh, yeah. So Alex is understandably not impressed <laughs> by this choice and, you know, sees it as a betrayal. She actually says that to Kara. She says it's cruel. Mm. You know, it's not like on par with what her dad does because what he does is objectively worse. Like, <laughs> But emotionally, it puts her in the same place. And that's clear at the end of Exodus, the next episode, when they finally do have a, a conversation <laughs> as they are more prone to do about why Jean did what he did. And the most interesting thing about that is Jean apologizes immediately because he knows what he did was not right and it wasn't fair to Alex. But then when he tries to explain why he did it, he tries to say, you know, he was looking out for her. He was trying to protect her, which is what he's always done. Hmm. And she kind of bristles at that because Jeremiah tried to use the same defense Hmm. when Alex confronts him earlier in the episode and tries to say that's why he stated Cadmus and why he helped with all of the anti-alien projects. And Alex is like, no. (laughs) Uh, Incorrect. You should rather die than do that. (laughs) Well, I mean, she isn't impressed. You think about Alex's choices later on in season two to not cave in to the Mm -hmm. demands of terrorists or Kara earlier in season two on Slaver's Moon. And she's like, absolutely not. (laughs) You know, neither of them is impressed by this excuse. But Jeremiah kind of says to Alex, you know, there's some things that you'll just never understand until you're a parent. And it's a little bit condescending. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A little bit. Which she then promptly calls him out for in her very Alex way of being like, I have the trump card in this conversation (laughs) and I'm not afraid to use it. (laughs) But the key thing there, the difference between like Jean and Jeremiah in terms of their justification for like protecting her is that Jeremiah never once apologizes for putting Alex in any of these dangerous or difficult positions Mm -hmm. or, you know, throughout her life as a teenager or an adult. And then even after they know he's alive and that he gets away and Cadmus is no longer a threat, he doesn't ever attempt to make amends with her. And that's why she's so angry Mm. as part of her grief after he's really dead. Yeah. Because, you know, the opportunity of that, which is clearly something that she's hoping for, is gone. Mm. Whereas John, he promises Alex and it's mutual. Like they say to each other, kind of like her exchange with Eliza in season one was a mutual (sighs) agreement and a mutual apology. But John says, you know, I'm not going to do something that hurts you like that again, even if it's for the right 
reason. Mm-hmm. And more to the point, she believes him. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> like, And that's really kind of the point of what the show is trying to say like a good dad is. Like you are providing that safety and not just in the physical sense that mm-hmm. Jeremiah thinks mm-hmm. where it's like I'm protecting you from literal immediate harm but also that sense of emotional security and just safety to be yourself and say the things that you need to say even if they come out not well um, <laughs> as sometimes is the case as sometimes is the case <laughs> with those two oh that's good but yeah yeah so that was sort of Kara and Alex's perspective as, you know, the children of fathers. <laughs> these, these various dads. Yes. Yeah. Let's take a look at the best father. <laughs> we say totally objectively, Jean. <laughs> well, every other father on the show is either absent, emotionally terrible, or an not actual alive. Crimi- oh. actual criminal. <laughs> so yeah. also actual not maybe sometimes not alive. Sometimes yeah. Not alive. That's fair. <laughs> but I think he wins by more than default. <laughs> Please tell me why in elaborate detail. <laughs> oh, I will. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Get ready, guys. Here it comes. So, Jean, he spent the show obviously grappling with his identity, which makes sense because he's a shapeshifter mm-hmm. and an alien and, you know, a father figure and, and grappling with like being a force for good and how he fits into the world as those things end generally. And, and both of these themes, that sense of identity and, you know, fitting into the world are both directly tied, as we've said, to the concept of fatherhood in Supergirl. But, you know, going to the origin of Jean Jones as a father, you know, obviously we have to talk about Kim and Tanya, his Martian daughters. Jean said that unlike most other Martians, he actually had difficulty choosing his line of work until Mm. his first daughter was born and he realized he had a mission in life. He said protecting her made me realize I had a gift for keeping people safe and he joined law enforcement and became the Martian Manhunter. Mm -hmm. So he found his personal identity, you know, that that element which can sometimes be in conflict for fathers with being Mm. a father. (laughs) But he found his personal identity through his role as a father and as a protector. But then obviously he loses his daughters and his whole family and just people and every element was shaken his identity as a protector because he failed in his mind and he ran from mars and the element of his family and his community obviously were taken from him and so his survivor's guilt in combination with being hunted by white martians and then humans on earth for who he is and you know in terms of identity create in him feelings of being a monster which we've talked about recently a lot. Jean even said, people I've loved have tried to kill me once they've discovered who I really was, which puts his recent fear with Magan in interesting context (laughs) where he's afraid that when she sees into his mind that, you know, she won't like what she sees there. Well, and then over the course of the first season, we learn that Jean was almost entirely isolated in his survival on Earth, at least until Jeremiah and the D.E.O., tracked him down. Mm-hmm. And then it's interesting for Jean, as someone who we find out really struggled to find a career path or a role in his community on Mars until he became a father, similarly be disconnected on Earth until he was actively pushed back into a father role mm-hmm. via his promise that he makes to Jeremiah to look out 
for Kara and Alex. And so even though we know he kind of kept his distance at first, which makes sense because it's like, who's this random alien? His choice to watch out for them and honor that promise is what brings him to the DEO in the first place and ultimately is what helps him assimilate on Earth and eventually create a home there with his dad and with his Earth children. Mm -hmm. And then it also fits neatly into this intriguing triangle where Kara comes to Earth wanting to complete a task given to her by her mom. Mm. And then Alex is similarly given a task by her parents of looking out for Kara. But it's quite a journey for Jean, obviously. It's a several season process in assimilating and feeling at home on Earth in terms of having a family and, and being a part of the community. Mm. You know, going back to the beginning of his time joining the DEO, he obviously is hiding who he is. And we learn that even into season three, Jean was sleeping at work. And, you know, we've never seen him have his own friends. And then Jean, when he's given this task, of protecting Alex and Kara. He spends years as this like faceless protector watching over Alex and Kara from afar. And, you know, in the scene in the flashback in Midvale, when he impersonates Alora, there's this sense that he like wants to connect. You know, he has this moment of compassion for Kara when she says, I miss you in Kryptonese. But he feels like, you know, he has to keep the secret that he is who he is. Which is interesting because it occurs to me that, you know, if anyone were to welcome an alien into their family, <laughs> it would have been the Danvers family. Yep. <laughs> and there's this lovely moment in episode 19 of season one when Jean is in the Danvers family household in Midvale. And he looks at the picture of the Danvers family, including Jeremiah, and says, it's a nice photograph. Beautiful family. But he, he looks quite sad. And there are a few things there. There's a sense of like him being kind of separate and like, where do I fit in? And then there's a possible element of like survivor's guilt where mm -hmm. he's the one who survived, not Jeremiah. Because Eliza, after he says that, is like, we were a beautiful family. But then Jean, working directly with Alex and Kara, slowly opens up to like joining a family and playing a less passive role in the community. But then it's to an extent, and we see him get another push through Marin. And Marin is an interesting figure as Jean's father, Jean being the primary father figure of the show. And Marin's storyline is very much about dealing with loss of agency and mm. trying to hold on to identity due to this Martian dementia that he has. And we see him put everyone at the DEO at risk to avoid wearing this inhibitor that would dampen his mental capabilities. And there's that comparison that Alex makes to taking her grandmother's keys away when she becomes a danger to people and, and can't drive in the same way anymore. But then Car and Jean get through to him and get him to put the inhibitor on. And Jean says the line that Car had said to him earlier, which was, the son becomes the father and the father the son. Which is also relevant then to Car's idea of what the role of a father is, which is this reciprocity and, and a balance and mm. helping each other, which is what she has with Jean. And also that sense of community and being a part of a team that helps each other. And then we see Marin apologize to the whole DEO and lament almost losing everything that he holds dear in favor of control over his life. And then John, after Marin gives his speech, says, I hope to protect you all better to Alex and Kara. And Alex says, you protect us all the time, John. And Kara's like, tonight was our turn. 
So it was just the wonderful moment of a family unit and a community and the ways that they all support each other in terms of a lesson for Marin as a character and then a lesson for Jean that he would grow to take forward with him. And for Marin's part, when he knew that he was going to die, Marin, he sacrificed himself to save the earth, becoming this like literal part of the earth. And so we see this arc of him going from being very self-protective especially when we first met him and he didn't mm. trust that Jean was his son, to then sacrificing himself for the good of his son, for the good of the earth that he had grown to see as beautiful. And then he says to Jean before he goes, live as Ron Mir taught among the people, promote peace and be happy, my son. <laughs> and then for Jean... He goes on this quest for peace, as the season four finale is titled. Jean, in season four, makes a point to join the community more actively and purposefully. Hmm. Yeah, we had seen him starting to make strides in that direction hmm. in season three, actually because of Kara. While she's gone, he takes the initiative to start reforming the DEO and reducing the harm towards aliens there. And then we see in season four, he works with this, like, alien therapy group and then he mm -hmm. also creates his private eye business which he specifically uses to help marginalized aliens who can't go to any other authority mm. yeah kind of reinventing his whole martian manhunter persona in a nice way yeah he becomes a man of peace for a period of time which mm. strains his relationship with car at first because she feels like he's not, you know, get back to that idea, like not on her team anymore because he's not like fighting in the way that she thinks is the best way to help their community. And it's not super present subtextually, but it would also make sense for her to be sensitive to that in a this is my father figure way. And my fathers or father figures tend to make big moral mistakes. <laughs> yeah. The one place where Kara is like trust low. Trust low. That's genuinely true. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but then she comes to realize that he is still contributing value to their lives in his own way and reminds him repeatedly that that is the case when he's struggling with it and reminds him that like the point of it is for him to figure out what is the best thing for him as long as he's you know trying <laughs> and for Jean's part his identity as a man of peace ultimately feels in conflict with his goals of protecting his family and that sort of father role. So we have an identity mm -hmm. versus connection to the family unit conflict again. But then being the Martian Manhunter seems in conflict with what his father wanted for him. So it's coming from all directions. But then John ultimately decides to be true to his values and identity as the Martian Manhunter. And then the other pieces fall into place, like his relationship with his ghost version of his father <laughs> survives or like his sort of projection of what he thinks his father would say. And he is able to protect Kara and Alex in the way that he's comfortable with. And for Jean, who deals with shame, strengthening his sense of self ultimately makes him a better community and family member. As opposed to, say, you know, Toy Man, the original, who maybe should have backed away from his identity. <laughs> Jean, who has that sort of insecurity, the healing thing for him is to 
embrace his personal identity. And then that helps him as a healthy member of a community and a family. And so the lesson is that being true to himself is the best way to make his father proud and the best way to be a father himself. And it's something that he's still actively learning. And trusting the community and his team is also something that he struggles with, such as, you know, not wanting to risk Alex's life and in trying to control Megan in season six. And mm. that scene that they had where Jean's like, from now on, we're a team. And Megan's like, we already were. <laughs> oh, Jean. Oh, Jean. I have a little a silly thought for you. Okay. Rank your worst dads of Supergirl. <laughs> worst dads of Hang Supergirl. On. Okay. I'll give you some choices. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Monel's father. Okay. Benjamin Lockwood. Oof. Okay. Or the toy man. Winslow Shot Sr. Who wins the title of, of worst, worst dad? Or if you think of another one who's somehow worse than any of those. We don't see enough of Lionel to know. Yeah. Lionel Luther. Yeah. We don't know enough about Lena's dad. So we've got Ben. We've got Twayman Sr. <laughs> suppose you could also throw in racist grandpa for good measure. Um, racist grandpa. He sucked, though. <laughs> he was the worst. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> There's her unvarnished be. opinion. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> all right. He wins, but I'll also <laughs> give a second ranking of see Manel's dad like got better, you know, or at least had some redemptive moments. He was willing to accept that his son was going to become a mixologist on the planet Earth <laughs> yes. and a romantic yeah. partner to someone from their rival planet. Mm-hmm. Ben Lockwood's tough because he wasn't like actively abusive apart from the part that he was like imbuing hatred into his son. Okay. Other than that Other part, than that. <laughs> where well, he then, indoctrinated yeah, his son and then told him to make a terrorist video oh, and then he helped true. murder someone. Oh, yeah. that is true. I forgot about that. Oh, mm. yeah, poor little George. <laughs> I still think I think it might be Toy Man Senior. Yeah, he's a little bit he, more. Yeah, his well, his like even uh, his like redemptive ish thing wasn't really like they weren't trying to go for that. So because <laughs> he was both like horrible to his son and also tried to like hurt people all the time. Oh, wait. Other terrible dad. Maggie's dad. Maggie's dad. Oh, well, he's sort of he's ordinary. Like not terrible on the same scale as like started a terrorist <laughs> movement or mass murdered rare. people. Like, yeah. 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 I think I think I'll have to go with I think just because the size of what Toy Man Senior does, it's like both horrible in terms of being a father with his son mm. and like their relationship and then also socially <laughs> in the community going both by Alex's and Kara's <laughs> worldview <laughs> fair did we you have it. a did you have a preference did I have a preference I would probably choose Ben Lockwood because he started a national hate group <laughs> and also indoctrinated his son to like kind of commit a murder yeah I mean um, that's fair <laughs> oh right he like they captured some alien and like beat it to death on a video. That's pretty rough. And he had the helmet on and he was like, we're all the agent of liberty or whatever. It was not good. Yeah. Well, it's I guess it's a question of whether or not we compare like toy men forcing when trying to force him to shoot someone versus like indoctrination. Yeah. It's tough. It's that, it's a hard it's question. A, it's different a flavors of like quandary. abuse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the fact that there were that many off the top of our heads 
it's maybe a sign, a sign. that yeah. the show is trying to say something about old school versions of fatherhood. Yes. And, and that they maybe were a little psychologically damaging to some yeah. people behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a couple shining beacons in basically just Jean and Marin. <laughs> Yeah, the Martians were where it's at because they understand how to talk about emotions. Uh, (laughs) That's true. (gasps) Yeah. That's the key. That's That's the lesson of Supergirl. (laughs) Yes. In terms of just general announcements, we do have another episode planned. It should be out within a couple of weeks. The next one that we are doing, we are actually planning as part of a series on the concept of truth, justice, and the American way within both the lens of Supergirl, the show, and how it applies in reality. Mm. So that's something to look forward to. And then also, if you have any questions, topics, suggestions, or general feedback, you can always reach out to us at Supergirl's Attic on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram. Mm -hmm. And thanks for listening.